7.08. Oh, it's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Another great show on tap for you this evening. Ira, we've got a really special guest tonight. I think anybody from New York and pretty much anybody across the country is going to know about Spencer Ross. Would you like to tell us just a little bit about him before he joins us right around 7.15? Spencer is a legend in New York. We're bringing a total legend on. He's done Giants games, Jets games, Yankees games, the Knicks, the Rangers, broadcasting the Devils, Islanders, broadcast every sporting event. He's in the New York City Hall of Fame for basketball. He actually played basketball at Florida State. Um, But just an amazing guy with a tremendous knowledge about New York. We're gonna, we are just going to pepper him with New York questions. He's going to be a fantastic guest. That's right about 7.15. And then Mike Iverone uh, coming up at 7.50 to talk about the Kentucky Derby, which kicks off on Saturday. Ira, let's get into it right away, though. Where have you been? And by the look of your clothes, I think I know. <laughs> well, certainly. I, I saw on the other night when the Cavaliers lost a 121-87 to to the Pacers that this could possibly be LeBron James' final game as a Cleveland Cavalier. And I was, I've been been to Jordan's last game as a Bull and Kobe's last game two years ago as a Laker, and I really wanted to go to Cleveland for this game. So I flew from New York to Cleveland and uh, was there two hours before the game, and I got the opportunity to see greatness. I mean, it's like Pavarotti singing, yeah. Michelangelo painting, LeBron James playing basketball. Yeah, absolutely. What was the atmosphere like? I mean, it must have been just absolutely electric there. It was electric. I think people were confident. They they felt really? I, I felt they were maybe overconfident. They felt the Pacers couldn't come in there and win a game seven. But I felt like there was a, bit, a sense of overconfidence. But the Pacers, interesting enough in the game, when they went down 9-2, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Like, I, I was like thinking of them. They have to realize this is game seven. This is LeBron James they're playing. They didn't, they didn't seem to have the passion. They needed to say, look, we just beat you by 30. We're going to go up and jump out 10 nothing." They did not have that passion to, to, to take that lead. Mm, absolutely. Sean, I'm sure you saw the game. What did you think was going to happen game seven? Well, obviously, LeBron James is the best player on this planet in this universe. Um, but as this series progressed, I mean, you know, the, the Cavs went up kind of big. But then you saw the, you know, you saw the Pacers coming back. And, and I said it last week, Victor Oladipo is a superstar in this league. I mean, he went tit for tat with LeBron James. LeBron James obviously influences the game so much. Biggest key differentiator um, from from that game seven to the rest of the series uh, me and Ira talked about and we'll touch on a little bit later but Tristan Thompson I mean just the energy that he brought um, I believe he ended up with a double double 14 and 10 I think was around um, but he had a huge block towards the end of the game on, on Collison what he is he's just a high energy guy that makes big plays when it matters most and this is what we hadn't seen from uh, LeBron James uh, supporting cast until Tristan Thompson had a phenomenal game um, Ira what 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 else did you uh, enjoy in the game? I mean, did you happen to see the, the young kid who called the shot? It was on Instagram, right yeah. at the end. Like, that, that was really cool. So this was just a, this was a great series. I don't know if it was the best first round series. We're going to talk about that uh, coming up in just a little while. But what's some of your other takeaways from that series? Well, one of the other takeaways is that Tyrone Lewis started Tristan Thompson. Now Tristan Thompson had played two minutes, zero minutes, zero minutes, seven minutes, zero minutes, and fourteen minutes in six games, which wow. means nothing. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying we should play. We had Bob Patton on a couple of weeks ago who said they got to start Tristan Thompson. At the game, a seven-year-old girl was sitting behind me and saying they got to play Tristan Thompson. 
Thompson. Everybody was saying play and so play Tristan Thompson. So people thought he's probably injured. He's probably hurt. But he ended up playing 35 minutes, scoring 15 points, 10 rebounds, and was such a key at the start of the game. And the, what's what makes him so valuable? And he was so such a valuable member of the last the last three runs the the Cavaliers had had mm-hmm. in the playoffs is that when he's a great offensive rebounder, he averages four and a half offensive rebounds a game. And when LeBron has the ball, he brings people, he draws people to him. So when he drives to the basket, there's three people trying to to block the shot. Or when he passes, there's two people on him all the time and they need somebody they because Kevin Love is looking for the three-point shot there's no rebounders on that team mm. suddenly he's in the game and it just he added so much pressure Miles Turner everybody from the Pacers was getting foul trouble Miles Turner the big center was in foul trouble but John Vitz was in foul trouble he just caused so many mismatches and problems for the Pacers the entire game and what I mean did you was there ever a point where you thought the Pacers were gonna have a shot to win well, it was weird. At the end of the first half, it was 54-43 Cavs. And you're saying, but they played perfect. LeBron went out amazing, had 45. Yeah. He ended the game with 45 points. At one point in the game, he was 12 for 14 shooting. It was, it was seven rebounds, five assists, four. It was an amazing part of the game. But in the middle of the third, it got 61-61. And I'm saying, if the Pacers win this game, they're just going to have to blow by. Like this, They're just going to have yeah. to run forward. And But they couldn't. That was, the, that was their high watermark. And then LeBron went out of the game at the end of the third quarter. He played the entire first half and almost the entire third quarter and was out for a couple of minutes and people said, well, then they extended the run. When he went out, they actually got it, went on an eight, eight nothing run. Yeah, and the key point there too, what I couldn't believe is Old Depot came out at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. You know, that should have been the moment, especially for a, as young as Aladipo is. I thought he would have stayed in there, but yeah, the, the Cavs went on a bit of a run. I think they, they went up like eight, it was like an eight, two run or something during that, you know, two to three minutes, but I just could not believe Old Depot came out off the court. That was their chance to kind of make up the ground against the Cavs and they, and they lost and people make that co- that comment is saying, well, it shows that you know he should have sat more. They didn't really need LeBron, but really, what LeBron Bojanovic's for uh, the Pacers was horrendous. I mean, yeah, he was missing. He missed Everything. five three point shots. Mm-hmm. He was played thirty seven minutes. Was one for nine with three turnovers and five fouls for three points. And everyone mm-hmm. thought he was so fantastic yeah. after game one. But Le- he was abused. LeBron was just destroying him, and he couldn't cover LeBron at the end of the game. He was cursing at himself. He was tired. I mean, the Pacers were beat down when LeBron went out of the game. I think the Pacers relax they're like oh good LeBron's out of the game we can relax and that's when then they when the when the Cavs took that big lead because they think they were just they could not sustain the intensity that LeBron just brought to that game any other standouts for you I I think the other thing was Tyrone Lue. Tyrone, they're winning in spite of him. He seems, everyone talks about his back. When I'm at the game, I'm watching Tyrone Lue. He's, he's having trouble walking around the court, whereas you see Spolster jump up and down and Nate McMillan jump up and down. Clearly his back is bothering him. He's not as engaged. His decisions, I think, are slow. LeBron is, LeBron is running the entire show, especially mm, on the court. He's like Tom Brady on offense and, and, and like a middle line, Mike Singletary, this great <laughs> on defense. He's covering, he's calling the defensive. When you're at the game, you just see him calling talking he's talking the entire game pointing everyone else when he doesn't have the ball he doesn't need a ball like Westbrook and some other players of course he yeah. does, when he doesn't have the ball he's pointing where everybody should he go controls the game in so many other ways totally like Manning totally like Brady in terms of calling out directing everybody total control of the game yeah and I had one stat and I mentioned it to Ira before the show LeBron James now has led his team in points rebounds and assists in 20 series Okay, so 20, 20 <laughs> series, not in games, 20 series, he's led in points, rebounds, and assists. The next closest player is Tim Duncan. He's done that five times. Wow. Larry Bird, four. Michael Jordan did it once. This is what we're talking about. And, and I said, that's not an indictment on those other guys. It's almost an indictment on Le- the teams that LeBron James is on. I mean, yeah, those Heat teams were super talented, um, and he had a lot of people behind him, but 
20 series, this guy has literally put his team on the back and done everything. You know, absolutely everything. And he did it again last night. And he is just bona fide, you know, the, the best player in the league on the planet. No questions asked. Just about one minute until we get to Spencer Ross, legendary New York sports broadcaster. This is going to be an amazing interview here on IRA on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Ira, anything else with the uh, Cavs, uh, Cavs Pacers series before we get to Spencer? Well, just to preview uh, Cavaliers uh, Raptors, um, I st- as much as the Raptors are favored, they've now met. This is the third series, third time, third three years in a row they met. The Cavaliers have beat them, swept them two years ago, won four, uh, swept them last year, won four two the year before. Um, everyone has the Raptors as a favorite. The Raptors do have home court. I'm still going with the Cavs. Uh, I- I don't know. That that one's going to be an interesting one. Hopefully we can get back to that a little bit later. But right now, let's bring in Spencer Ross, legendary New York sports broadcaster to Iron Sports. Spencer, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule and joining us. Ira, are you talking to me? Because uh, it's kind of garbled. I'm, I'm just a little... <laughs> yes, you're, you're, li- you're on the radio right now, Spencer. It's great. Thanks for coming on our show. We appreciate it. I'm happy to be with you, Ira. I mean, we, we've been in the barbershop a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, in New York City. So, Spencer, let, I want to start the start the questions out because I. Name Sal Podera. He's in the hotel St. Regis, and he's he's the king of the barbers, the king of the hairstylists. Okay. Well, clearly, Sal has cut so many famous sports celebrities in New York. It's amazing. I don't want to go into it because I think it's private, like barber. Really, we have a bad connection here. Okay, and, and you garbled. And Spencer, it's not you. Your voice is fine. You speak beautifully. Your intonation, your inflection, everything is perfect, except, uh, uh, God bless him, and he's a dear friend of mine, you're sounding like a, a garbled Luke Arnesecker right now. <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a compliment. It's very throaty. Could you, could you, would you like me to call you back, and hopefully we can get a better connection? Yes, yeah, Spencer, okay? why don't you try do- dropping the call and uh, giving us a call right back. We'll have you on. I'll call you right back, okay? Thanks. Hate when that happens in the radio industry. But um, I take that as a compliment to be compared to Luke Carnesacco. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, St. Yeah, you know, yeah. I know what you said is true, though. I think there is a, you know, there's, of course, there's doctor patient confidentiality, there's barber patient oh, confidentiality. God, sure. I wouldn't want people knowing about, you know, my business, and they might be asking you, and, you know, things like that. Although Ricky Fowler goes to my barber, and he never calls me when he's there. <laughs> um, Spencer Ross, getting back on the line with us here in just a minute. Hopefully, we have a little bit better connection uh, than, than we did in the past. Um, I, why, don't we, why don't we go back to uh, the, the what you, to, to the Wizard series for a minute? I mean, that was one that uh, I, I was really impressed with a lot of the individual efforts, but not necessarily everything as a whole. What about you? Um, definitely, the Wizards step meets a new change. Wall and Beal yeah. are, uh, are uh, don't one of them is going to be <laughs> traded. Uh, they just at the end of the game against the Raptors, they just couldn't handle, and they and, and the Raptors win. In, they won in six games games in win the final game in Washington. So I believe we have Spencer Ross back on the line with us. Spencer, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Just slow down a little, Ira, because the line, again, is still a little garbled. And if you just slow down a little bit, I'm sure we'll be able to have a really a good, interesting conversation about whatever subjects you want to bring up. If I happen to know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> well, certainly I, you do. I, we... I, 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 I certainly don't know everything. And the people who report to know everything 
are, are full of crap, okay? Well, we have Spencer, we have a three-headed monster here, Sean, Mike, and myself, sort of like the WFAN uh, morning crew is doing. So that's so we're going to be you're going to get questions from me, from Mike, and from Sean. But I guess my my first question will be what everyone seems to be in and one thing is that we're in West Palm Beach right now and certainly everyone follows New York sports down here. I think more than they follow Florida sports. <laughs> and the one question everyone's talking about is Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants and and what that means for the Giants. So, what is your take about Barkley? Uh, the, you know, they're saying he's going to be the best running back in the history of the New York Giants. Well, they're very excited about him. They think he's going to be great. You know, the interesting thing about running backs, it's a, the, the injury factor with running backs, when you think about it, take a look at all the quarterbacks in the NFL. Yes, they do suffer injuries, usually to the head, uh, but r- running backs are, are easily more, more prone to injuries. And I remember the last great top pick of a New York team of a running back was another guy out of Penn State, and he was really a good one. His name was Blair Thomas, and he had a pretty good rookie year. Uh, Bruce Coslett, I thought, uh, didn't use him properly. They had three or four running backs at the time. Uh, Freeman McNeil was coming toward the end of his career, and it's it's a near Hall of Fame career, and they had a couple of other guys. Uh, Thomas is a rookie, had a pretty good year, second year, pretty good year. He got injured in the third year. He, he was a, a journeyman for a couple of more years, and, and he was out of football. So, uh, and he was a Penn State guy. He was, he was, I believe, the number two pick in, in the number three pick in the draft in the first round. Uh, so, you're taking a chance on a running back, but you're taking a chance on anybody because uh, this game is so fraught with injuries now. It's, it's, it's such a crapshoot when you start picking guys and. Do you take a look at the beginning of the season and so-called experts look around and say, oh, this team's going to win, that team's going to win, and, and never take it into consideration is the injury factor, which, should, like no other sport, it, it, is, it is such an important aspect of, of, of football. And plus, the, the, the shifting around of players changes the dynamic of the league from year to year almost exponentially. So mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, it, it's a situation. Hey, I, I think the skid Barkley. I've, I've seen him play a few times. He's very exciting. He, he, he's wonderful. Uh, uh, people are comparing him to certain people. Uh, uh, I heard somebody even try and compare him ludicrously to Jim Brown, and there's nobody who can compare to Jim Brown. There was another comparison to Barry Sanders. Well, Barry that. Sanders was was much smaller, uh, more a little more quicker, perhaps. But this guy is big. He is strong. He. He has great moves. Yes, he has great talent. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He's a, he's 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 not a gamble. You know, he may not work out. He may he can get hurt in the second day of training camp. You never know what's going to happen with guys. But uh, uh, no, I, I don't I don't think it was a uh, I don't think it was a uh, a gamble to go for a guy this talented. Uh, the Giants still have Eli Manning, and I think if. Uh, they can shore up their defensive line, uh, their offensive line, excuse me, and give him a little more protection. And, you know, you got a little more protection when you've got a running back that you've got to be concerned about a lot more. So uh, that left tackle, while he's important, uh, isn't quite as important if the quarterback is handing the ball off instead of standing back there and, and getting clobbered, you know, for a, by defensive linemen to come flying in. But well, that, well, I, I, I Barkley is, of course, a high-character guy. Manning's a high-character guy. 
maybe someone with not that much character would be Odell Beckham Jr. Um, where do you see, but certainly very talented. How do you feel as Odell? How, what's his role going to be next year? Do you think the Giants at this point drafting Barkley, will they trade Odell? Will they going to keep him? What do you see with his future? Who are you talking about, Tom Brady? <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. What's that? Odell Beckham. The wide receiver, o- Odell o- Beckham. O- Odell Beckham. I, he, he's a problem. He's something that has to be dealt with. He's, uh, you know, he's Des Bryant 2. He's uh, Randy Moss 3. Mm. He's, you know, hey, hey, Randy Moss, in my mind, you know, you start listing great wide receivers. Uh, uh, the guy for San Francisco was in the class of his own, Jerry Rice. Uh, Randy, Randy Moss, Randy Moss wasn't second best. He's, he's as good as there ever was, but... You know he had he had certain problems, and you know, interesting thing about Randy Moss, and, and I find it really fascinating. I'm a Florida State guy, and I've known Bobby Bowden for quite some time, and I have such the most utmost respect for him. And and, and you know I, I really I, I really really was happy to see Jimbo go. Okay, and I'll explain why. Uh, Bobby Bowden in the subject of Randy Moss, uh, a lot of people don't remember, but Randy Moss came to FSU. Mm-hmm and was there over the summer, and was on his way. Everybody knew this kid was going to be one of the all-time greats. And he got caught with a joint, with a, uh, smoking marijuana. And, and Bobby, and Bobby uh, asked him to leave. You know, uh, Jimbo, on the other hand, in that incident that took place three years ago, and, I mean, I'm an ardent FSU supporter. I love the school. I go back there. Don Falls, who was the trainer, still a dear friend of mine. I went down there in a basketball scholarship. It turned out I wasn't good enough to play, and that's how I began my broadcasting career. Had wonderful people down there, wonderful friends, still have wonderful friends down there. But I don't know if you remember the incident about three years ago when one of the players on the team on a Thursday night, on a Thursday night, was involved in a hit-and-run accident. He fled the scene. Friday he did, after speaking to people, turn himself in. And... He was admonished. I don't know to what extent he was admonished, but I really lost a lot of respect for Jimbo when on Saturday he started him. He let the guy play. What yeah. kind of message is that to deliver to deliver to kids? The kid was in a hit and run accident. That's a, that's a, that's a uh, that's a felony indictment, possibly. Uh, you know, it wasn't an alleged hit-and-run accident. He came and admitted it, which was good of the kid to do it, and he was sorry that he did. But you can't let a kid play two days after that. And that really kind of soured me. I'm happy he left. He forced Bobby Bowden out, too. Bobby wanted to stay an extra year, and Bobby deserved to stay an extra year. Bobby Bowden literally saved football at Florida State. I don't think a lot of people realize how close they were to abandoning the football program. Darrell Mudra, no, no offense to him. He was the coach who preceded Bobby Bowden. Darrell Mudra, I think they were two and nine or one and ten in his two seasons there, and they were ready to give up the game. And here came Bobby Bowden from West Virginia, and he saved the program. He turned them into, for a period of fifteen years, arguably the, the most powerful football school in America. You know, under this whole state of Florida, between Miami, Florida. And FSU, uh, they were they were dynamos. They were they, they, that 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 threesome. They, they, no other state could come close to those to those three schools. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the the thing about wide receivers, Odell Beckham, 
is a problem. But the sense of entitlement amongst athletes of today is so off the charts. And, and don't anybody tell me for a second it has nothing to do with the dollars. It has course, everything to do with the dollars. You get take a 21-year-old kid, a 22-year-old kid, and give him lifetime financial security, and he's making four times or three times the money the coach is making, he's going to listen to him? Who's he going to, why is he going to listen to him? You know, they, there's a, it, it's, it's an impossible situation right now, and it's the reason also why the shelf life of coaches is, is, is so short. You know, it's, it's such a short, a short thing. That's why a guy like Saban, he shouldn't leave. He should, he should stay where he is. Uh, should not go anywhere. It is, it's a tempting thing, you know, to go to the NFL. He, Saban's been there before. But, no, I, I uh, Beckham, Beckham's got to come to grips with who Odell Beckham is. He has to realize he plays a team sport, and he's certainly not acting like a team player. You know, and he is a great talent, that kid. Oh, is he great? <laughs> Seven twenty-eight. This is Ira on Sports ninety-five-nine, the True Oldies Channel. We're speaking with legendary New York sportscaster Spencer Ross. Let's go to the other uh, New York football team. Spencer, the Jets have been quite tumultuous uh, for the past couple of years. Do you think Sam Darnold is the player that's going to kind of right the ship for them? I, I think Sam Darnold could be a could, could be. You know, there's again another case. Uh, he he's got the talent, he's got the ability. He may not have the size. He's 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 he, he's got a chance to he's got a chance to be something very special. Also, he you know he has he has a, a an affinity with the Jets. It's it's something he's. This is where he wanted to play all his life. He's, he's been a Jet fan, he says, since he was a kid. Uh, he talked about that even way before the draft. Uh, any of those guys, any of those four guys who were picked in the top ten could turn out to be Hall of Famers, and all four of them could turn out to be Todd Marinovich, okay? <laughs> now, you, you, you just don't know. You, you know. I mean, Tom Brady was a fifth-round draft choice. He was a backup quarterback in college, and, and if anybody wants to tell me there's been a greater quarterback than Tom Brady in the history of the NFL, I'd have to really question what they know about the game of football. So, uh, you know, to, to start talking about the future, and what I say, if you like basketball, okay, let's we'll just shift over to basketball for a second. And you take a look at what's happening in basketball today, and the argument about uh, about LeBron is he the greatest? I don't know if he's the greatest, but he, every time he needs a big game, he scores forty five points, and they win the big game. They've been in the finals. What? How many? Just about. He's been in the finals. It's been there just eight about years in a row, I believe. Seven or eight years. Uh, and I take a look around the league right now, and I see the Greek freak, yeah. and I see Anthony Davis. And I see this young kid from Philadelphia. All these kids, these three kids, the way they're playing right now as centers are down the road. You're going to be mentioning them if they stay healthy. And again, health is a factor. It has been a factor a bit through the years, through the early years of Anthony Davis's career. But you're going to be mentioning them in the same breath with Kareem, Wilt, Shaq, all, Russell, all the big guys. I mean, this this is how talented they are. And the, and that Philadelphia team right now, you take a look to what what they built there with 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 the uh, the big guy and and and, and the young point guard. Whew, they're they're scary. It's a scare. That's a scary young team. That's a team that I'm not saying they can't. They will. 
but I won't be that surprised if they beat if they beat Cleveland if they beat Cleveland and you know and and come out in the East. I don't know if they can they can win the NBA title, but uh, no, I don't think they'll win the NBA title. You know, the, uh, two teams in the West are just. They're in a they're in a different different world. league, yeah. Spencer, Golden State and Houston are are just just in a different world. Spencer, it's Sean here. I want to thank you for uh, you know coming on. Uh, this one's near and dear to my heart, uh, and I'll stick with the NBA here. Uh, as a Nick fan, you know, very excited about uh, uh, the 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 unicorn and Porzingis. What? Where do you think this team goes with the GM? Um, and and in terms of the head coaching, it just seems that we can't find the right fit to to match. You know, on the floor with the head coach uh, to you know the, the the guys in the in the in the offices. Where do you think the Knicks need to go, and what do they need to do to turn this franchise around? Well, the first thing I'd say is that uh, you know it's kind of like Groundhog Day. It's a uh, uh, I think the first thing you have to do, you have to find somebody else to own this team, which is yeah. gonna... <laughs> hey, good luck. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I mean, how many times? How many times could you could can you poop the bed and and still come up and say now we're made? Well, we're you know Steve. Put Steve Mills in there. Is, is Steve Mills a good man? Yeah. Steve Mills is a good man, and they've got a good general manager right now. And as far as Porzingis is co- uh, concerned, I think he's a great talent. I mentioned four other big men. Okay. The Greek freak, Anthony Davis, the kid in Philadelphia, uh, and I forget who the fourth one is I mentioned right now. But uh, you really think Christopher Porzingis is going to be up there with those guys ten years from now? I mean, he's a really good player. Don't don't get me wrong, a really good player, and he's going to be an All Star. But uh, as as being a dominating force, he's really a power forward. You know, he's a, he's. He's he's not he's not a true center. He's not a center. He, he's he's a marvelous talent. I mean, his size steps outside and he gets threes like he like, like a little guy. Uh, he does have physical problems. He's got to bulk up. You know, bulking up might slow him down. And you, you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I'd recommend what what uh, what Stoudemire did. Here was Stoudemire to me is the perfect example of of a. Of the kind of athlete and kind of person you want in your organization, he had a hundred million dollar contract, twenty million dollars a year. It was guaranteed. The Knicks, though, had no insurance on him. He could have walked away from the game any time he wanted. He wasn't the same player he was. No, he was making twenty million a year. What did he do over the summers? He gave it was chunk change to him. But think about it. He went to Hakeem Olajuwon's summer camp and paid $100,000 a week and did it for a couple of weeks every summer so he could learn the post-up moves. You know, he if you want to be great, you always have to work to make yourself better. Bernard King told me something years ago and then I reminded him of just a couple of years ago. He said, you remember that? I said, yeah, because it really told me why you were such a great player. He told me of a game in which he was coming down the right side of the court going to the baseline, and a guy threw a pass a little bit ahead of him, and he had a jump for the ball, and he grabbed it just as he was going out of bounds, and he was like in a prone position, you know, equal with the ground. And from the corner, he put up a shot as before he hit the hardwood, and it went in. And, you know, of course, it's a play he never worked on. He said, the next day I got to practice, and I worked on that for 45 minutes, <laughs> just in case it ever happened again. 
that's what makes great players. They said, how did you remember that? I said, because that really told me why you became, from a good player, you continue to make yourself even better. What happens with a lot of these young guys, the Sean Kemp's, the Tim Thomas's, they come into the league in the NBA, they average 19 points, get seven rebounds a night, eight rebounds, or maybe even ten rebounds a night, and they make six, seven, eight, ten, twelve million dollars a year in a couple of years. Why bother to get better? Why bother to get better? What do I have to, I don't have to work. It's not work to me. You know, I, I got enough to stick around this league for 10, 12 years and, and, and have lifetime financial security. The great players don't think that way. Uh, the LeBron James, the Russell Westbrooks, the James Hardens, the, 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 the Stephen Currys, the, uh, you, you know, just name them. Uh, you know, down the line of the re- really great ones, they're always working to perfect their game, to make it even better. Because you, can always, you can't make yourself faster, although today you can to an extent, but you can make yourself quicker. You can make yourself a better defender. You can work on it. But if you don't have to work on it and you're getting 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year, I don't know about you, but, but I might dog it a little bit every once in a while. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen Russell Westbrook dog it for six seconds on a basketball floor, you know. And it's, you know, just the whole, the whole thing with dollars, you know, and I was really involved in these games. And, you know, I developed a lot of strong friendships, which I still have today with baseball players, with, with, with football players, particularly guys from the Jets like Wesley Walker and Bruce Harper and Bobby Jackson uh, and, and guys from the NBA and guys from the Yankees when I was broadcasting Yankee games. We'd go out to dinner. We'd hang out. Today, you know, I'm not involved in it anymore, but today the financial differential between us separates us from them. We're not, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't play in the same league with these guys. And, and it's the money that has caused the separation. And, and the rapport, the rapport that once existed is no longer there. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad because you live with these guys and you learn to love them, and and you like them, you know. And there's some of them that are that are you don't even want to know, okay? And uh, the sense of self entitlement of so many of them is is beyond beyond belief. But then there are the other ones who wake up in the morning and look down and say, or look up and say, hey, thank you God, or thank you whatever I believe in. Ain't I a lucky guy? Ain't I a lucky guy? And and those are the guys that I really like, the Don Mattingly's, the other guys I mentioned. Yeah, they, they 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 understand, and that's that that's what makes them human beings, and that's what makes them the kind of people you want to be around, and the kind of people you want to root for. Spencer, thanks a lot for being on the show. Just one final question: uh, I know you covered you broadcast the Yankee games for many years. Are the Yankees there? Do they meet? Do they need to uh, sign a, a pitcher, or do you think this is the team that's gonna we're gonna see in October? What's that? The Yankees? Yes. Do you think they should sign another? Do you think that they're ready to make the move? Pitcher. I mean, t- you know, th- this series this week, this week is, it's early in the season, you know, and I don't watch games every night like I used to watch. But, you know, first of all, in the World Series last year, my wife fell in love with Jose Altuve. I mean, she wanted to adopt him, okay? <laughs> uh, and, you know, she, she she loves baseball. It's really the only sport she's re- really involved in. But, yeah, I take a look at, you know, the Yankees, I mean, the, the bats are unbelievable, but Sonny Gray's pitching tonight. And, you know, watching, just watching the World Series last year, you know, Charlie Morton's 33 years old. 
And I watched him in the World Series last year, and I said, gee, he's only going to get better. And he, I think he won 14 games last year. Lance McCullers Jr. is going to be a star. He's going to be a star. And then, of course, you've got Verlander, and you've got uh, Keuchel, who's off to kind of a bad start. But Garrett Cole came out of nowhere. They've got a five-deep pitching staff, and you take a look at that lineup, that batting order. And, and listen, I love Aaron Judge. Didi Gregorius is just blowing my mind away. Uh, uh, Stanton, I don't worry about Stanton. I mean, Stanton, Stanton's, Stanton, Stanton. Uh, I worry about Sanchez as a catcher because he's brutal behind the plate, but he can hit the ball. And they're going to get Greg Bird back. When they get Greg Bird back, uh, the Yankees, the Yankees uh, are, are definitely a playoff team. Uh, how deep they go in the playoffs is a question mark. Sabathia is pitching great right now. Can he hold? Do this all season long? Uh, Tanaka, I think, is okay. When he first came around with that with that splitter that he had, that. In fact, Gene Michael thought at first it was a palm ball, and the only couple of guys have ever mastered a palm ball. A palm ball, uh, Elroy Face made a living, won a Most Valuable Player Award, I think, with a palm ball, and a, a journeyman pitcher named Jim Constante in 1950, a relief pitcher who really perfected relief pitching, pitched in 74 games for the Phillies that year. He had had a journeyman career with the Cincinnati Reds, and came to the Phillies and in 1950, won the Most Valuable Player Award as a relief pitcher with the palm ball. The palm ball is similar to the split-finger fastball, but it drops even more, goes down even more. And Stick, Gene Michael, thought that after watching Tanaka, seeing him you know, in Japan, he said, I think this is a palm ball he's throwing. It's more a splitter, and, and it's a great splitter, but... He's kind of been a roller, been a bit of a roller coaster for the last year or so. But uh, you know, and Sonny Gray's a question mark. Severino's a hey, Severino's the ace of that staff. There's no question about it. Their bullpen's going to straighten out. I mean, Batances has had a bit of a problem, but Chapman is still great. Robertson's going to be okay. Uh, they they need a starting pitcher. Sonny Gray's pitching tonight, and I got to tell you something. If Sonny Gray pitches tonight like he's been pitching. Uh, Brian Cashman's really going to start looking early because uh, there's just so much patience you can have. I mean, it's not like waiting for for, for Stanton to start hitting. You knew that was going to happen, and it's happening. You know, I mean, he's sitting 240 now. You know, it's it's still April. Well, it's the start of May, but uh, it's uh, they need a pitcher. They 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 need more starting pitching. They don't have enough. They have enough to get to the playoffs. They don't have enough to win the World Series right now. I don't think so. I really don't think they do. I, I think right now, if I had a pick to win the, the American League pennant, it would be uh, the Houston Astros with that pitching staff. That's, that's scary stuff, boy. That's really scary stuff. They have five top-notch starters. You know, it's, and, and, you know, Keiko's going to come around. I don't, think, I don't think there's a question mark. But the other guys, Morton's pitching great. You got Verlander, McCullers. I love the way McCullers pitches. He gets the ball. He, he's he always the amazing thing about him. When you see McCullers pitch this week, if you watch the Yankees Astros game, count the seconds it takes for him to throw the ball. He he gets the ball and is ready to throw his next pitch. Fifteen seconds, boom, he's gone. Pop, pop, pop. You know he has that rhythm that. That only the and now with guys not not being able to uh, do the uh, the Garcia Perra thing of st- 
of stepping out for like 20 seconds and adjusting the glove and all that stuff, uh, you got to step back in there. And uh, that team's a joy to watch, okay, the Astros. They, they, they're fun. And, you know, I'm a New York guy. I've always, you know, rooted for New York teams. I'm beyond the stage of really rooting. I enjoy watching, though. I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching great teams. I enjoy, hey, I was a Jet broadcaster for 20 years. I love watching the New England Patriots play, and I love watching Tom Brady play. I love watching LeBron James play. I love watching the Golden State Warriors play. Hey, you know what you're looking for in sports? If you're a real sports fan, you're looking for a sporting Mona Lisa. You do not want to watch mediocrity on a daily basis. You want to see greatness. And those people I mentioned, those teams I mentioned, Vince Lombardi's Packers, Red Auerbach Celtics. Hey, that was that's that was something to root for. Seven forty four. Uh, Spencer, I want to thank you so much for popping by Ira on Sports. This is ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean as well. No personality there. I'm mean, such a such a great great guy. You got Spencer, Spencer on for like twenty four hours. He should be uh, um, like in the Senate when they have Philly. You know, he'd be <laughs> he'd be able to talk about sports. He's amazing with the experience he's had, all the games he saw. Love to get him on and start asking him some questions. He he was also Roger Goodell was a spotter when he used to be the uh, when he broadcast the Jets game. Roger Goodell was the spotter telling him who the players were doing. When he was like 18, 19 years old. Very awesome. cool, very cool stuff. Ira, let's go yeah. back to basketball. Um, you want to talk about the Oklahoma City a Utah series because that was just amazing, and I, and I love the you know the core that uh, they're going to have building up for uh, in Utah. Well, absolutely. To me, that those games. Now, Utah uh, ended up winning the series four two. Uh, the final on on Friday night back and forth between Donovan Mitchell and Russell Westbrook. In the third quarter, Donovan Mitchell scored 22 points. Russell Westbrook scored for Oklahoma City, scored 20 points. Um, it was a tremendous back and forth, back and forth, and uh, just just the most amazing thing in terms of watching what a, what a game. And uh, But in the end, with Rubio hurt, Oklahoma City could not end up winning the game. I mean, mm. um, Westbrook scored 40, um, he was 18 for 43, 7 and 19 for threes, 46 points on 43 shots. So it was just uh, they were, it almost looked on Wednesday night they were down by 25 points in the third quarter. So they were all going to go out in five games and Westbrook put on a show and came back. Mm. And then suddenly Friday night's game between Mitchell and Westbrook was amazing. And but this was their chance. Oklahoma City could not beat a Utah team that had Rubio out, injured, not there, and a rookie who is their star player. Uh, very disappointing. Carmelo Anthony had three was three for seven for seven points. Uh, Paul George had was two for sixteen for five points in, in a closeout game. And I'm sure Oklahoma City's now blowed up. And there's a lot of questions. What's Russell Westbrook? Where did they go from there? Is singular talent who was for two years triple doubles back to back mvp of the league last year and now he's going to be left whatever for the next how many when are they going to put players around him or how he's going to work with other players to be advanced anywhere to make to win the title they're going to have an interesting series coming up here houston's good uh they 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 beat them pretty handily 110 to 96 uh yesterday what do you think, Ira? Can you, can you give the Jazz a shot against the Rockets? I don't. I like the Jazz a lot. The Rockets are rested. I think without Rubio, I think this is going to be a sweep. I also think, I mean, I think Golden State's going to sweep New Orleans too. I think they're both sweets, sweeps. I think we're just set up for Houston Golden State. Someone joked, it's like, can the commissioner just call off these two series? As much as I'm going to watch them and enjoy watching them, I just think Golden State now is just at a level. Everyone was excited with New Orleans. Everyone thought they were playing so great when they beat Portland. But Holiday and Ron 
Rondo cannot match up with Duran and Thompson. Duran at 26, Thompson at 27. Um, Anthony Davis is phenomenal. He's great, great player. Draymond Green outplayed him. Draymond Green yeah. had 16 points, 15 boards, 11 assists, three steals, two blocks. Yeah. I mean, he was amazing. And they're just there's they're they're going to lose in four games, and <laughs> it might be five, but it's it's going to be very exciting. Finally, we're going to see what we were waiting when the season started. Houston and Golden State, uh, Harden versus Durant, and Curry is now coming back for a Golden State too. So it's shaping up for a great Western Conference Finals and the two best teams in basketball. Unfortunately, are probably playing in the Western Conference. Finals. No, they. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, let, let's get into. Uh, what we have the Heat game. Yeah. What about uh, what the the uh, the final game of the series? Well, yeah. I mean, we got it. We got to finish up with the East a little bit in terms of of the Heat, and and certainly what a, I was so excited. I thought I was going to come back here for Thursday night, and they ended up losing in five to the Sixers. And I felt like their final performance. They lost a hundred four to ninety one on Tuesday night. Uh, just. Just for beat. Just didn't play well. Yeah. And their problem coming into this, we, we've gone over this before. Whiteside, 24 million. Drogic, 17 million. Uh, Deion Waiters, 12 million. J- Johnson, 14 million. Olenek, 12. They're way over the cap. None of these players can get traded. It's a, it's a, ba- it's a bad situation. Uh, Shawnee, what, what about you? I mean, you think they should try to move on from Whiteside? I mean, I don't know if you, if you, if you can move this guy's contract. Well, I think, I mean, when you go back and you look and, and all, you've, all, you, all you hear about you know, Riley is what a, what a great GM, what a great moves that he's made. And then when you invest the type of money that you did into like a guy like Dion Waiters, Johnson, and Whiteside, and that's, I mean, that's who you're going to war with. Um, you know, I, I know bringing Wade back, that kind of gave him a little spark towards the end of the season. I think Spolstra should win just coach of the year every single year because, I mean, that guy does, ever since LeBron left, has just done more with less than anybody else in the league. Um, but but there's nothing they can do. You know, he Ira brought up a good point. They have to move on from Whiteside, but not for nothing. You know, who's going to pay a center who can't stretch out, play outside, doesn't shoot a three ball, um, and it clearly just looks out of shape. I mean, uh, 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 Pat Riley came out and said, hey, the reason why he didn't play late in games is because he was gassed. You know, now I want to see what you know Whiteside says to that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's the kind of big that he is. It's the DeAndre Jordan, you know, days of old, lob it up, and I can get, you know, a yeah. dunk. And, you know, I'm kind of overvalued as a defensive you know, player because nobody plays in the paint anymore. You know, I'm going against Giannis, uh, you know, Greek freak, and and he's stretching it, and you know, he can hit the outside shot, he can bring the ball up. Whiteside can't do any of that. Whiteside's a back to the basket, you know, old old school, old NBA, and you're paying him like he's uh, you know a superstar, and he's not. So um, you know, this team is going to go as far as them getting out from you know the salary cap hell that they're in. We do have some breaking news: the Dodgers All Star shortstop Corey Seager is going to have Tommy John surgery, miss the rest of the season. Um, let's get right into this. Great guest. We've had him on Iron Sports before. It's 7.50. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. It's Mike Iavarone. He was the leg- uh, owner of the legendary Big Brown, has been involved in horse racing his whole life. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on Iron Sports. And is there really a more exciting weekend in all of sports than the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, no, this is what I live for. This is uh, once a year, but it's uh, it's definitely a big run-up, and I, I really love Everything leads up to it for sure. Mike, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on the field? Uh, we've seen some amazing crops of three year olds, and we've seen some lackluster crops of three year olds. How do you think these this group of three year olds uh, ranks? I think it's a good group. I do. I think it's a very good group, and I think justify you know at the top of the list. Uh, if he's everything that that Baffert seems to think he is, could be something really really special. Obviously, uh, he's still maturing, but uh, if he runs to the way Baffert's thinking he will, he could be a, a real shot at this triple crown again. 
Um, let's talk about, but you know, before we get into how the race is going to go and, and how you're going to bet it, because we'd love to make some cash on this, it's really what you're watching the Kentucky Derby for. Um, who's a long shot that you could see coming in here? Maybe not necessarily winning, but someone that you're not going to want to leave out of your exotic bets. You know, that, that itself is tough. Usually I'm pretty good with, with finding the right horse that, that's coming up to the race the right way. And, and I think this year I'm not finding that one horse that ran maybe behind somebody that was special. I think, you know, Vino Rosso's Wood Memorial was really good. But I think he's going to get a little bit better probably more than he should. So, you know, I'm really not finding the right horse. Uh, in behind, maybe Audible, you know, can get eight, eight or ten to one, but I'm really not sold on him either. I just think, unfortunately, that justified to me is, seems like he's a man amongst boys in this group this year. Um, Mike, it's Ira. I was just a quick question. Um, on the last show you were on, this is for the Florida Derby. You were very high on Justify. And a lot of my friends in Louisville were like, no, I think Boltzora is going to beat him at Santa Anita. I don't think Justify is going to beat him, but the race won and Justify did great. They're still, my friends that like Boltora are still on the Boltora bandwagon. They think the jockey switch was going to matter. They feel like it's going to be a, he can handle the, the race of the Derby better. Where do you, what do you think about Boltora? Yeah, no, I, I'm completely disagreeing with that. I, I think as distances get further, I think Justify is, is much better. And if you watch the end of that race, at the end of the race, you can see Boltora was all in. And I think Justify was turning away from him even at the end of that race. And keep in mind that, Justify did all the dirty work in that race. Both Dior was able to stalk him, and both Dior had a run at the 3 8 ball. Looked like he was going to run up alongside him. Justify had another gear. And uh, the, the mere fact that Javier Castellano uh, had his choice of horses and he stayed east tells you something. And I know he has a relationship with Todd Fletcher, but at the end of the day, the guy has yet to win a Kentucky Derby. And, and I don't think one relationship is going to prevent him from riding a horse that he thinks is better. So he chose Audible, and, and I think he's. He made a good decision. I just don't think Baltiaro is going a mile and a quarter is the class of, of any of these other ones. And also, Mendelssohn is this horse that ran over in the UAE uh, all the way across the kind of the world, uh, won by eighteen lanes, but against a weak field. I mean, what do you, what weight do you put on that in that race where it looked dominating, but it was really running against no other horses, but won a lot of money in the race also. Yeah, outstanding horse. I mean, the way he did it, and that was, that was a very, very fast time over a very deep track over there. Especially in comparison, I know they went a mile and three sixteenths as World Cup went a mile and a quarter. That race came up comparatively to the World Cup, and I think he's a real serious horse. I just think uh, the, the transfer from Dubai to the United States has never been a good one. A lot of horses that have gone to Dubai from America have come back here and struggled just to get their feet back on there. And it's a quick turnaround. I think it's asking a lot. I think he's a top horse for that. I think he's going to get over that. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Again, we're speaking with Mike Everone, owner of Big Brown, been involved in horse racing for decades. Mike, let's get into it. Uh, how do you think the Kentucky Derby is going to play out? Well, I, I think obviously the post position is going to tell everything. I, I think, you know, once they draw a post, and I think, you know, some of the speed is, is going to be dictated based upon where they draw. So, you know, until they draw on Wednesday, uh, tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow. Until they draw tomorrow, I, I think, you know, we're going to be guessing as to where the speed lies. Like, for example, I think if Justify should draw the rail, his hand is forced. I think he has no choice. You know, if he draws somewhere in the middle to the outside, he can allow all the horses to go and dictate terms. But I, I think, as we all know, that the post is a huge part of the outcome of this race. And I think for the horses that like to be up close and stalk, I think it matters a lot more than the horses that come from behind. 
uh, Mike, before we let you go, uh, you have any tips for betting this, and how are you planning on making a little bit of cash? Well, I'm, I'm going to stay off. Obviously, I'm not going to bet Justify. He's probably going to be 9-5, to 2-1. to one. I expect him to win, uh, but sometimes I don't bet. You know, with my expectations, I look for value. And, and I, I, as I said, I'm going to let the, the post dictate how, how I look to bet. And I'm still looking at some, some races closely. I think the horse that ran second in the, in the Louisiana Derby, um, I, I think he's a decent horse, and I think he might be a horse I'm looking at. He could be 25-30-1. to one. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Vino Rosso and the horse that come out of the Wood Memorial. I think, obviously, the horses that are going to get the most play uh, are the horse that come out of the, the uh, Arkansas Derby, which is um, Plesha's horse, Magna Moon. And I think, uh, obviously, Justify. I think those are going to be your favorites with Mendelssohn. And I think if, uh, if one of those should draw a real good post, um, I mean, a real bad post, there may be some value to try to play from that angle, too. So it's, it's a very difficult betting race, I have to tell you. Uh, Mike, just one final question. This is Ira. Uh, in 2008, this is a week before the Derby, you had the favorite, Big Brown. What were your feelings? What were you doing on the Monday before the race? Like, in terms of what were you doing to get this horse ready? I know you weren't, like, you know, in terms of uh, doing the actual training, but being the owner and scheduling, it must have been just amazing to be having the favorite for the Kentucky Derby only five days away. Well, we actually had a little bit of a different issue. We had a sequence, a breed sequence, that was off with all the other horses because we shipped from Florida late. So we actually had to breathe Big Brown on the Wednesday before the race on Saturday, and most of the other horses had done their heavy lifting on the Saturday before the Saturday. So we were nervous right up until after the breeze. So we had to deal with the post-position draw on, the, you know, on Tuesday, the breeze on Wednesday, and then the cool-out on Thursday. So we were really more concerned with how we were going to handle the track and the breeze and how to come out of the breeze and everything else. And then once he cleared the hurdles and he just breezed over the track just beautifully on Wednesday, he cooled out fine Thursday. We knew we had drawn post-20. Post-20 really never bothered us. It was kind of a funny thing. It bothered everybody else, but it really never bothered us. And uh, we were really confident and comfortable going into the race. Mike, I want to thank you so much for popping by. Can't wait to talk to you. Uh, maybe for a little Preakness or Belmont as we get further into stake season. 7.57, Iron Sports. Just about three minutes left here on the True Oldies channel. Guys, uh, five quarterbacks drafted. I, I love the NFL draft, by the way. I love what the Giants did. Ira, of the, be- uh, of the five quarterbacks drafted in the first round, who do you think is going to end up being the best fit with their team? Of course, it's Baker Mayfield, uh, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, and Jackson. I, this draft seemed to be just exactly what happened years ago when Ben Rotzenberger for the Steelers went 10 and Eli went 1 and Rivers went 2. I, I think each one was the good fit for their team. Ben was all upset. I dropped a 10. He's mad. He's angry. Rosen in this draft from UCLA, oh, he drops the 10. It. He goes to Arizona. But in Arizona, he has Dave Johnson, who if we, anyone plays fantasy is probably going to be the one of the two, three back first players in the fantasy draft mm. off the board. Yeah. Um, he has a, a great coach in terms of the great environment there. Rosen might start from day one and play great. I think Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland, he seems to have that mentality, the fighter mentality of Cleveland. I think that's a good pick for him. Josh Allen, th- these teams wanted these players. I think all of them have good potential. I think they, if you ask me who I think the best fit would be, I like Mayfield a lot. I liked him from day one, but I like Rosen's situation in the first year. Rosen with Larry Fitzgerald uh, there at wide receiver in terms of Dave Johnson, he's ready-made to win nine, ten games this year as a starting quarterback. But what about you, Sean? Who do you think is the best fit 
uh, of, of these first-round quarterbacks. It didn't really go the way I thought it was going to go. Well, honestly, I th- when you look at it and where they went in terms of their personality fits, I mean, I think it's just it's great. Mayfield's that underdog guy. Cleveland's an underdog city. Darnold, you know, a- as much as, oh, it's pressure in New York. I mean, the guy played in L.A. for USC, which is the pro, yeah. the pro team out there, so he's used to it. Josh Allen, cold weather, Wyoming, big, hunky country guy, Buffalo, perfect. Josh Rosen, chip on his shoulder, but L.A., great weather. Arizona's great. And Lamar Jackson just kind of going to Baltimore and everything that kind of they do. I just, I don't know. I, I just think they all fit well. I would say in terms of the best situation, I think they're all great fits. Best situation, it's got to be Baker Mayfield. You got Josh Gordon. You got a first-round tight end in David Njuku. You got Jarvis Landry. You got another first-round talent in, in Brandon Coleman um, as your wideouts. On top of that, you get Carlos Hyde. The offensive line is there. I mean, they're not, I know they lost Joe Thomas, but they've invested some there. Um, it's a decent and, and above-average offensive line. And then you go out and you get a guy like Nick Chubb who fell a little bit because he had a bad injury in 2016. But honestly, I mean, he was the lead horse um, up until this year in the Georgia backfield when Sony Michelle kind of blew up um, and, and was actually taken by the Patriots. So in terms of who I think can succeed the most, I think it'll be Mayfield, especially early on in the career. I think Josh Rosen, though, just the attitude that guy brings. I mean, there's just like a there's like an Aaron Rodgers feel to this guy, just pissed off, mad at the world. And just, you know, when you watch him play, I mean, it's different. I mean, Josh Rosen is a special talent. I know there's a lot that goes into it, but I really just think where he said, I mean, there was nine picks made ahead of me, and when the dust settles, I'm going to be the last one standing, and I would not be surprised if that's the case with Josh Rosen in Arizona. You know, Sean, you just brought up uh, something interesting. I think the Patriots drafting a running back in the first round is just a little bit weird to me. Um, the, the Sony from Georgia. That, 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 to me, is just a little unpatriot-esque. Ira, what's your biggest first-round surprise? I think when Ohio, when Cleveland went with Denzel Ward for Ohio State, yeah. everyone thought that Bradley Chubb, the defensive lineman oh, yeah, for I NC totally State, so. was going to go at that position. And when they picked Ward, and, and Ward's great, and they need help in their secondary, but I felt everyone everyone thought Bradley Chubb was the first pick in the draft if it wasn't for the quarterback situation yeah, without Barkley. And uh, I was shocked. And I think that's why Denver, of all the teams that we mapped out, what teams needed quarterbacks, who was going to draft a quarterback, and everybody got their quarterback except for the Broncos. They're happy with Case Keenum. They didn't really – they didn't draft a top quarterback and I thought they they might have traded out of that position but they 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 felt oh my gosh I get Bradley Chubb I yeah. have a p- person who people think is the number one pick in the draft and uh just when their defense that's an awesome defense to put them there is just amazing Shoney what about you biggest first round surprise I I think it has to be and it's it's kind of like a two-parter you know, I mean, there's so many. You could look at what the Saints gave up to move up for a Marcus Davenport, who you know played in you know an FC uh, FCS school, not a lot of competition, struggled at the Senior Bowl to start it, but had a great game. But I think it's Tampa Bay picking Vita Vea. And, and then watching uh, Derwin James fall as far as he did. I mean, everything indicated, every mock draft was James going there. I mean, just what they need. I mean, they, they got JPP. They've solidified that line. They got great uh, linebackers with Quan Alexander, um, uh, 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 David, uh, the outside uh, linebacker. But the secondary is where they had problems. And then you got a guy like James who could just come in, start right away, and deploy him in the nickel, play him at free. He could step up and play at the line and be a strong safety. He could play corner. I mean, he's the closest thing, in my opinion, to to uh, Jalen Ramsey, I mean, literally a clone of the guy, and that's their biggest need. And they go for 
you know, a 300-pounder, he's a run stuffer, I get that, but, you know, a lot of the times he can get lost in blockers and and just to fit. And then for Derwin James to fall to 17 to the Chargers, I was just, I was blown away. I mean, I was kind of getting excited because I saw the Cowboys coming up. I'm like, he's going to the Cowboys, he's going yeah, to the yeah. Cowboys. But it, it just didn't happen. But I, I think that was just an ultimate shock for me. Um, Ira, before we wrap up the draft, who's a player that didn't get drafted on Thursday night? So from day two on... Who'd you see anybody that you think is going to have good NFL success? I mean, I know you're high in the uh, Steelers' second-round draft pick. Well, this, uh, the, in terms of, you know, it's interesting. Because I looked in terms of, I have a fantasy perspective, <laughs> in terms of what I like for fantasy. On the second, I, this gets back to the Arizona Cardinals. Christian Kirk played for Texas A&M, great wide receiver. I think working on the opposite with uh, Larry Fitzgerald, with Josh Rosen, I think he's going to have a monster year in, in Arizona. It's inside, it's a dome, fast track, all those things. I look for him to be just an amazing player and, uh, and someone who's to be drafted definitely in the uh, in, in your in your fantasy draft. Um, some players that are going to play next year on the second round pick, Ronald Jones was drafted by Tampa Bay. They have from USC as a running back. They have no other running backs on that team. Anyone who knows fantasy knows that there was no fantasy running backs in Tampa Bay. I think he's going to see a lot of time. And certainly, how about Geis from LSU for the Redskins? I definitely think he's insane. He he's insane that he dropped that far. And he's going to beat out Rob Kelly, who's their uh, incumbent. You're going to see a lot of when you he's draft a day for, one starter. When you draft fantasy next year, you're going to have to look at these picks because these running backs. There could be six rookie running backs starting. Another one, Royce Freeman for. Uh, for Denver. I mean, Denver really doesn't have a running back. Royce Freeman out of Oregon is amazing running back. One of the leaders in Pac-12, Pac-10's history. Yeah. Um, I really think he could be Very a starter. Yeah. So there's, this year, you're going to start to see, sometimes you think some of these wide receivers and, run, and running backs, oh, give them a couple years. No, I think teams draft these running backs. They're going to plug them in right now. Uh, Shawnee, what about you? Someone from a little bit later in the draft that you could see making a really, uh, really good impact. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you two guys. I'll give you one on offense and, and one on defense. First on defense, you feel horrible for the guy because it came out that he had a heart condition. But Mo Hurst, right? So Mo Hurst uh, had it, like an irregular heartbeat, and there's something that causes that. So they don't know. I mean, his career could be cut short, you know, to you know a few years, or he could, you know, uh, you know, play for ten to twelve years. I mean, this was a guy who was a first round talent, can get up field, violent player from Michigan goes in the fifth round to the Raiders. I mean, instant day one starter. You put him in between um, uh, uh, Mac and uh, uh, Ir- Irvin, um, you know, and instantly solidifies that inner part of the defense. Day one starter. Now, it's funny because Mike had asked me last week to pick a few guys that I thought would be late round steals and names that, uh, you know, we might hear. Mm. And one of them actually ended up on the Cowboys. Uh, his name was Michael Gallup, uh, a Belichnikov finalist, okay, Played at Colorado State. He's built like Terrell Owens. High point catchability. Mm. Runs super clean routes. That's the difference between this guy. I mean, he he looks like he's the guy that you put off the bus to you know to start. But he he plays like Tarzan too. You know, looks like Tarzan plays like Tarzan. Um, led the uh, I believe he led the nation with uh, fifteen point nine yards a catch. Absolutely a beast and played with horrible quarterback play. I mean, Colorado State. So for him going, I believe we got him in the fourth round, one of our fourth round picks. Absolutely phenomenal pick there um, on the offensive side of the ball. So I actually had him rated a lot higher. Christian Kirk, that's a great pick too. But at the end of the day, where he plays, he's more of a slot receiver, right? So Gallup can line up on the outside, but you can kind of line him up all over the place too. If I'm going to invest in a second round pick, I feel like slot receivers, I mean, you see the Cole Beasley's of the world, and I use it because I'm 
him a homer. But at the end of the day, a guy that you know I think we got in the seventh round who can transform an offense because he's twitchy. You know, obviously Kirk is a phenomenal talent on top of Beasley and could be a real uh, game changer. Compares to Randall Cobb, but for the value that we got galloping, I mean, there was a few guys that went up above him. And I was like, this guy is 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 light years better than those guys. Ira, we do this every week. Where are you headed this week? I don't know. I, I got to see where the playoffs, how they how they map out. And and as I, I just decided at the last minute, I didn't really believe the Cleveland series was going to go yeah. seven games. And I wanted to be there for that game. So I just want to see how the series and how the games uh, go. I mean, this Boston-Philadelphia series, the game tonight is exciting. They've met 20 times in the playoffs, the history. I heard the Philadelphia, they, they, the players watched the a history. They had a professor put together a whole history of the whole series <laughs> together. So it's still it's at the East. I think the West... Won't be that exciting. I certainly think Toronto and Cleveland and Boston and Philly are must-watch TV. Um, we are just about out of time here on Iron Sports. I want to thank our very special guests for popping by. Of course, we had Mikey Evron on just a moment ago and legendary New York sports broadcaster Spencer Ross. Let's catch up next Monday night on Ira on Sports.